I think from a psychological perspective, when people are going to donate, they really want to feel like their donation is going to be doing good. We're back again. Welcome, everyone, to the ROI podcast presented by the Kelly School of Business here on the IUPUI campus in downtown Indianapolis. I'm Shane Simmons, and I've got the Associate Dean of Academic Programs here beside me, or as most of you know him here on the podcast, Mr. Phil Powell. Phil, how you doing? Shane, it is a great day here at the Kelly School of Business. It's a wonderful day, and today's episode is going to be uh, really eye-opening, I think, for a lot of people. We're going to be talking about uh, a topic that is really timely with everything that's been going on with the recent hurricanes that's wreaked havoc here in the United States and, of course, in the Caribbean. And we're going to be talking to Helen Colby. She's an associate professor of marketing here at the Kelly School of Business. And recently, she researched something that could have major implications for organizations like the Red Cross and others who are trying to raise money uh, for these disasters. And that research is talking about why people give their things or these tangible items rather than their money. You know, Shane, nonprofits have the same challenge that normal businesses do. And that is how do they motivate folks to give money to their causes? Well, Helen's going to reveal some really good insights that can help a nonprofit, especially in times of great need, increase the money that they get for the cause. Well, let's get right into it. During Hurricane Sandy, actually, uh, the Red Cross was so overwhelmed with these donations of, of items that some of the communications people actually went on the radio and asked people to stop giving in this way, not because the Red Cross didn't appreciate it, but because the volunteer hours that it took to sort through that and deal with that could have been spent, you know, helping people get cash aid and doing the paperwork for that and getting out and distributing food to people still in the field. Um, But it, it was not, to my knowledge, effective at sort of stopping this flow. And Helen says sometimes having these massive amounts of items donated can cause issues for the collecting organization. More specifically, having to manage these in-kind donations takes away resources that could be used in gathering and motivating other sources of aid. It becomes a huge management um, issue and also to a certain extent a PR issue because during uh, one of the tsunamis, people gave medical aid, but they had a tendency to give opened bottles that were labeled in different languages and they would ship all this uh, overseas and the number of sheer man hours it took meant that it took so long when even for the cost of postage they could have bought doses and doses of antibiotics which is what was really needed um they ended up having to burn a whole bunch of it and so there's this i think combination of problems where one it just takes a ton of volunteer hours two there's a cost of disposal to stuff that can't actually be used and it's dangerous obviously to leave i mean medicine is difficult to dispose of and three there's the pr issue of if people give all this stuff that doesn't get used that looks like the charity is not being as efficient as possible, whereas in some cases, I mean, you just can't use unlabeled medicine. There are a lot of different things, I think, that motivate people to give. Um, generally, it's, I think, a sense of sort of doing good. There's definitely been a lot of research around what is sort of more effective at getting people to give. So one thing that people have found is um, called the identifiable victim effect, so that people are much more generous when there is a specific 
identifiable victim that they know things about as opposed to what's called a statistical victim. So when Helen says that people are much more likely to give when there's an identifiable victim, she's talking about something that's a little more specific than just saying something like, thousands of people are in need of clean water, or uh, it would be something more along the lines of, you know, this particular family in this particular location needs water. Is that right? You're on it, Shane. But more specifically, Helen's research asked this question. Why do people decide to donate tangible items, like clothes or shoes they have lying around the house, rather than donating money to buy those items. In conjunction with Noah Goldstein, who's at UCLA, and Ashley Angulo, who is at Carnegie Mellon, um, who led the study, we have been looking at what the drivers of people's decision to give items instead of money is, essentially. And the reason this is a really interesting question is because it actually runs very contrary to what you would expect in a, in a normal consumer context. So normally, if I have an item, I value it a lot more than the same item that I don't own yet. So this is called the endowment effect, and it was pioneered by Thaler and some others in the 80s. They actually have found the endowment effect in chimpanzees. There's an interesting article in, I think it was Current Biology a few years ago, where they gave, I think it was chimpanzees, some kind of primate um, things, and found that basically they don't want to trade. They, they, for food, whatever, that they like whatever they have, better than whatever you're offering them in every situation. So there's some, I think, interesting biological basis of this also. And what their research found runs upstream to what most people would believe. Yeah, so one study we did was we had half of the people imagine that they owned a blanket in their house that they'd had for a while, and the other half of people imagine, you know, and they, they bought it for $30, and the other half of people imagine they were thinking about donating $30 so they could donate a blanket. This is after a disaster. And what we found was that people who were thinking about donating their own blanket thought it was more valuable to the receiver, that it was going to be more comforting, and interestingly, that it was more worn. So they weren't actually unaware that a blanket they'd had in their house would be more worn than a new blanket, but even so, they thought it would be more comforting, more valuable, and were thus more likely to donate it. So normally you would have thought, if I want people to donate, I want them to make them feel like they don't own whatever it is that they're donating. But actually, if you want people to donate something, you should remind them of how much they do own it, because they'll think it's more valuable, and then they'll be more likely to give. So what Helen's saying is that even though a person's items may be more worn, they may be you know, not as visually pleasing, they still value it higher because it was theirs, and they assume other people will value it just as much as they do. And by doing this, they think they're actually helping more. Is that right? If you're an organization or part of an organization, that's been tasked with raising money in some fashion, how do you make the most out of your campaign to ultimately help more people? That's the question she answers. And Helen gives us some tips. So I think that the takeaway from this research specifically is that in all normal consumer areas of life, owning something makes you less willing to part with it. But in this interesting difference in donation context, because you think that things you own are more valuable, you actually think they'll be more helpful. And because people generally want to be helpful in donation context, this actually makes them more likely to give, which is sort of counterintuitive and counter what is found in normal non-donation context. I think a lot of charities who work in things like malaria have been successful that way. So it's not just you're donating $10 to malaria um, prevention, you're donating $10 for a net. 
So you can imagine your specific net going to a specific child. In a lot of cases, nonprofits need cash instead of in-kind donations to most effectively help those in need. So, if you're a fundraising organization and you need cash, you need to make sure that your message is personal and takes the potential donor into the picture, into the scenario, into the story of the value she's creating by that donation. Create as much of a picture as possible and be as specific as you can about what the cash is going to give, get for the recipient. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the ROI podcast. And I think there's a lot of value that we can take from this episode and start applying that to ultimately help more people because that's what this lesson is going to help us do, help more people all across uh, this world. And so we'd like to thank Helen Colby for being a part of the show and sharing some of that research that she and her colleagues are working on. Be sure to subscribe to the ROI podcast series and leave us an iTunes review. That really helps us out and lets us know how we're doing. And we will see all of you right back here next week on the ROI Podcast. Have a great day.